plans for my crazy day, my packed commute, all those unread emails in my inbox. But I'm getting stronger, faster, and pushing myself further every day. I don't care if I'm not like everyone else. This punching bag is the best way to end my day. Fearless is knowing yoga isn't your style. That's the power of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Federal Employee Program. Learn more about our healthy benefits at fepblue.org slash get more. All right, guys, you are locked on, Falcons. I am your host, Aaron Freeman, and today I am giving you my rapid reaction to the Falcons' 23-7 loss to the New England Patriots in Week 7. You are locked on, Falcons, your daily podcast on the Atlanta Falcons. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, guys, as usual, we are giving away a free Pro Football Focus Edge account. Let's get this out of the way at the top of the show because uh, it's going to be an interesting and, and fun episode. All right, so as you guys know, we give away a free Pro Football Focus Edge subscription every show or uh, every week for every show in the Locked On Podcast Network. Uh, how you win is you basically go to Locked On Falcons, go to our iTunes page, go to our podcast page, give us a five star review, leave your Twitter handle in that review, say whatever you else in addition you have to say, and uh, you will be given a free Pro Football Focus Edge subscription included in that player grades, snap counts, position ranks, fantasy projections, tools, charts, draft coverage, all that type of stuff that you come to know and love from Pro Football Focus. And uh, you get that, just submit that five-star review. If you do not win that free Pro Football Focus Edge subscription, then you can still check out the great Pro Football Focus content free on the Locked On Podcast Network. Uh, You can check out Mike Renner on Locked On NFL every Wednesday. You can check out Jeff Radcliffe on Locked On Fantasy every Thursday. So, all right, guys, that takes care of the business of tonight. I do want to say full disclosure before we get into these things. I had to watch this game on my phone. Um, there was a shooting incident near my home, uh, as I believe no one was injured, so that's a positive, one positive from tonight. But the cl- police wound up closing down my street to collect evidence, and that sort of forced me to redirect myself, my viewing experience, to my brother's home to watch the game on his Wi Fi at his place. Um, you know, he was also hosting a, a Sunday dinner for my extended family in the area. And because of the presence of that family, you know, basically I was outvoted essentially to watch football on TV. And so I was stuck watching it on my phone. And so that's one of the reasons why if you were following me during the course of the game, I was tweeting rarely. I was only able to tweet during commercials. You know, you're also when you're streaming it on your phone, you're also on a delay. So I didn't tweet that much. But because of that and because of the the festivities involving my family, I also had the phone on mute. So I didn't get any of the audio of the game. You know, that's a positive because I didn't hear any of the Super Bowl references. I saw a couple, but I didn't hear them. But uh, at the same time, there may have been things during the broadcast that they said about such and such that I just didn't hear. And so therefore, there may be a couple of things that I might say on this episode that you listen to like, what did Aaron even watch the game? Cause they clearly, you know, this clearly happened. So th- there may be a couple of things. I don't think I really missed anything big. Um, I had to go and find out that Duke Riley got injured and that's why he exited the game. I, I, I had no idea if he got, that he got hurt or if he got benched, but um, I found that afterwards. So I guess we'll find out later this week how 
you know, what his status is with that knee injury. Hopefully it's not serious or a long-term issue. Uh, we'll see. Um, so I just wanted to give that first disclaimer at the top of the show. So in, in case I say anything that's off, completely off the mark, that's, you know, that's probably the reason why. Um, another disclaimer, I should also warn people. I'm not going to say that many positive things about the Falcons on this episode. So if, if you wanted to hear, you know, if you were hoping, oh, Aaron's a contrarian, since everybody's being negative, he's going to be really positive on this rapid reaction. Nah, no, nah, I'm not going to be completely negative, but it's probably going to be like 90% critical. You know, it's going to be me critiquing a lot of things and probably critiquing some things that people, other people may not be critiquing after uh, watching this uh, Patriots game. So if that's not your bag, you know, as they say in the UK, I think they say this in the UK, you can jog on, you know, move along. And this is not going to be a, a, a rainbows and gumdrops episode. Uh, this is not going to be fire and brimstone. I, uh, maybe it will be by the end of it. I might get fired up. Um, you know, I might go off script. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, this is this is not going to be, you know, let's let's praise the Falcons and let's point out the positive. Maybe we'll do that later this week, but not not right now. So, um, let's get things started. It's official. This, there is a Super Bowl hangover. Um, you can also say that maybe the 2016 season was a fluke. Because right now this team looks a lot, at least in my eyes, looks very similar to this 2015 selves. And, you know, I, I can't remember which fan talk we did um, earlier this year. But I remember telling someone that I could see the Falcons winning eight games. I could also see them winning 13 games. I could see them any, winning any, any number in between those numbers. Um, and it looks like that, you know, that eight and eight scenario seems to be well on its way to coming true. Similar to 2015, you know, you had the fast start three and zero start this year. Now three straight losses, 2015, you had the five and zero start, then they lost seven out of their eight. You know, the hope is that Dan Quinn and company will be able to pull this team out of the, the tailspin sooner rather than later. And, um, you know, it doesn't look like he's going to be able to lean on his offensive production in order to help him facilitate that. So he's going to have to dig a little bit deeper. I thought we would see a much better, a much stronger performance from the Falcons um, against this Patriots team. I thought if the offense couldn't get things going against this Patriots defense, then you know, it's really no reason to have any expectations that they'll get things going anytime soon. Maybe maybe in December, maybe after Thanksgiving. I don't know. But, um, you know, it was interesting to see the stat where the Falcons went, you know, all in all total going back to the second quarter of that Dolphin game and into the fourth quarter of this Patriots game. They went 91 minutes without scoring a single point. Um, you know, it was four minutes left in the game before they, they finally got on the board against the Patriots, and as, as you guys recall, they were shut out in the second half of that Dolphins game. So, you know, that's a game and a half, six quarters, basically. And, um, you know, I think that's all the stat you really need to compare this year's offense to last year's, where last year's um, team, including the postseason, if you wanted to throw in the three postseason games in, they were the third best scoring offense of all time. And, and all of a sudden now they're going six quarters without scoring a single point. Not even even make a field goal. That's how bad they are. They can't even make a field goal from their super reliable kicker. Um, you know, seven points against the 30th best scoring defense in the NFL tonight. You know, Kyle Shanahan, you know, whatever. We're going to talk quite a bit about Shanahan tonight. But uh, Shanahan, 
managed 28 points against what was then the league's best scoring defense in the Super Bowl. So, you know, that's another nutshell sort of opinion. I, you know, I, I, I'm not a big fan of sort of the one-to-one co- uh, comparisons when it comes to football games, but uh, that one, you know, underlined that point several times. I don't know what else I need to say about Sark that hasn't already been said. The red zone offense was probably, at least in my eyes, the most egregious issue uh, in in tonight's game. That sequence at the start of the fourth quarter, you know, just wanted to make me puke. Um, Third and one, they missed the pass to Julio. Fourth and one, they ran a jet sweep that everybody and their mama saw them coming. Uh, No Devontae on on that particular two-play sequence. I don't get it. You know, if you're going for, if it's a four down territory, I understand that. Right. And I understand, um, what punch it in on third, third and one, it's third and one, go for it. It's at the one yard line, run it up the middle. Why are you trying to get cute? I know you're trying to get Julio's touchdowns. I, I know that's a big thing. That's a big thing in a lot of people's eyes. You know what I say? You know, think of a word that rhymes with duck and, I say that to Julio touchdowns. Get the ball in the end zone. I don't care if Julio goes touchdown list this season. Who cares? Get the ball in the end zone. But, you know, I, I don't get those 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 play calls in that situation. You know, if you're going to – my opinion, you know, and again, I, you know me, guys. If you've been listening to this podcast, you know I'm not the guy that said they should have done this, they should have done – like, that's not my bag. There's a million plays they could call. But in that situation, I'm sitting there like third and one – just give it to Devontae right up the middle. Nothing cute, nothing fancy. Just power football, man. You know? And if, if, if that's not the play call you're going to do, then run the tight end rollout. Fake a handoff to Devontae, power football, and then hit Hooper on the rollout. It works every single time from the one or two yard line. It works literally 99% of the time, guys. I don't understand why teams don't do it on first down. Just do it every time. But they tried, the, you know, they tried the play action rollout to Julio. You know, Ryan made a bad pass; it was broken up. Then they ran the jet sweep, a, a baffling call right there. You're you're empty in that situation. No one, you're not faking anybody out when you when Gabriel goes in motion immediately. Oh, it's a jet sweep. Every single person, like, really, you're going to go empty in this situation? It's fourth and one from the one. You're going empty again. I don't have a problem with teams going empty in the red zone. Most teams go empty in the red zone. But you don't do it on fourth and one after you call the pass play. Right? You put at least a running back in the backfield to at least make it a possible, you know. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll go. I don't want to get too much on a rant. But, about you know, there, there were other play calling issues in this game. Uh, they went for it on a fourth down in the first quarter. You know, that was a ballsy call near mid- midfield. But it's a similar situation. You know, they did what we talked. We talked about this in the Bills game. All right, if it's four down territory, you want to run the ball on third and short. Right? And then you can save the pass fourth down. So they kind of did this on that sequence in the first quarter. They it was third and four. And then they run a pitch on uh to Devontae, a sweep to Devontae. Like we did not learn from last week's game. <laughs> Look, I was very forgiving of the pitches in last week because the week before against Buffalo, the pitches seemed to work. Like, if they work the week before, then you can call them the week after. But if they don't work the week before, why are you calling them the week after? I don't get that. Um, you know, they lose three yards. And then, of course, Ryan winds up converting on the fourth and fourth and seven. Ryan scrambling, to me, really was the only positive the offense produced all game. Uh, 
Like that, that in in that was it for me. I thought it was a pretty poor performance from Matt Ryan personally. Um, I'm not trying to pass the buck on Sark's play calling, but I like uh, we'll certainly talk about that. But like I, I saw the stat, you know, Pro Football Focus, our friends, dropped a nice nugget on on Twitter earlier this week, saying that pointing out Matt Ryan's adjusted completion percentage on deep throws this year versus last year. Last year he was ranked second in the league. I think it was like 57 percent adjusted completion. You know that that. For those of you who don't know, that takes away throwaways and drops and, and all those sorts of things and sort of is more like a pure indicator of what's on the quarterback absent of the wide receivers and whatnot. And this year he's 32nd out of 32nd. And I tweeted something along the lines of like, oh, it smells like regression. And I had a lot of people respond to that saying like, oh, I blame play calling. Like, I don't blame play calling when you're when – you're, you know, blame calling is bad. Don't get me wrong, but when your quarterback's missing throws, that ain't Sark ain't out there throwing bad passes, um, and underthrowing and overthrowing everybody. Um, I remember the you know, the deep sideline throw to Sanu in the, near in the end zone, and Matt Ryan's throwing it like three yards out of bounds and eight yards ahead of Sanu. It's like, how is he supposed to catch that, Matt Ryan? You know, and it is, it reminds me of the early 2008 to 2013 Matt Ryan, who was terrible at throwing the deep ball. And he was just overthrowing receivers to prevent interceptions because he was too afraid to throw picks. And he was a horrible deep passer, and it was a, I don't want to say the, a reason for why the team wasn't explosive in those years, for the most part. You know, they were in in 08, and that was largely because he was just throwing up Hail Marys to Roddy White, and Roddy White was doing Roddy White things. But, you know, I, I personally thought this, guys. I thought Matt Ryan's accuracy last year was off. Um, it was one of the reasons why I got into it or I continue to get into it with people that sort of liken completion percentage to accuracy. But I, you know, maybe I, I didn't talk about it that much cause I was like, well, maybe I'm off, off the mark a little bit because, um, I'm making a mountain out of a molehill because maybe because Matt Ryan isn't doing the other things that I usually notice him doing that sort of caused me to nitpick him. It's making the, the few issues he's having with a couple of throws being a little bit off the mark seem like bigger issue than what they are. Like normally the things I'm, I'm critical of Matt Ryan are his, his timidity, timidness, uh, whatever that word is. Um, the noun of timid, uh, of pulling the trigger on sort of tight window throws or, or not necessarily handling pressure particularly well. And it could sort of messing him up. And, I, and he did those things excellently in 2016. And, and so my thought process was, oh, it just now it means like the handful of throws he has a game that are off the mark is might be just me making a bigger deal out of a small thing, and it's the same as it normally is. It's just there's aren't other issues that are sort of you know minimizing or, or masking it. And I, you know, I was thinking like, oh, it's receivers helping him out. You know, Julio's like the best receiver in the league at the catch point. You're seeing Taylor Gabriel create massive separation. So even if he is throwing off the mark, you know, there's no defender there. And, you know, even the great Muhammad Sanu is boxing out guys um, that are making some of those accuracy issues a non-factor, really. Um, and I, I'm not seeing it. And again, I, I know people are like, oh, why, why, are you, why are you hating on Matt Ryan? But I don't know. It's just like, I don't see Julio creating a, a ton of separation. It was one thing against Tankersley and Xavier Howard, but now to see him 
not really doing it against Malcolm Butler and Johnson Batamosi, it leads me to a conclusion that he's not healthy. I know some people will blame the, the routes that he's running. He's being asked to run aren't really designed for him to create separation. That's a that's a fair criticism. I don't I don't know if it's you know, it might explain things on a couple of plays, but not certainly not, you know, the fifty routes he's running over the course of a game. Um you know, Julio's a competitor. And before anybody takes this as a me criticizing Julio Jones, um it's just, you know, the team never tells us the truth about Julio. And I've always relied on the fact that when I watch the tape, is Julio getting separation against these lesser corners? If not, then he's not healthy. And watching the game live, it didn't seem like he was getting a ton of separation. And then on top of that, Matt Ryan, when he was in sort of these tight windows, Matt Ryan was throwing it into the back of Johnson Batamosi's head. And if not for Julio sunning, you know, Malcolm Butler on that lone touchdown on an underthrown fade, you know, I don't know. So issues, got to deal with it. And again, I I know people are going to be all about Sark, talking all about Sark and and blaming him him for the problems going forward. And I understand that. I'm not trying to pass the buck. I'm just trying to illustrate that the Falcons' issues are deeper than, in my opinion, than just play calling. But I I know how our fan base is. I, I know we as a fan base... Um, I'm saying we because I am a Falcon fan, even though I, I try not to engage in this behavior. But uh, we as a fan base tend to have the, the, you know, have a tendency to reduce things to one problem. And we then convince ourselves that if we can get that one problem fixed, all of our other problems go away. Whether that was in 2015, that was firing Kyle Shanahan or replacing Mike Person as a center or running the ball in the Super Bowl, and I'm sure as we will find out in the coming days and weeks, firing Steve Sarkeesian right now. But it's not just bad play calling that this team has to fix. And I, I do want to talk a little bit more about that, but I do want to remind you guys that the NBA season has started, even though I am not currently invested in October NBA basketball. Maybe you are. And maybe you are a big Hawks fan and you want to check out Locked on Hawks with my good friend Brad Rowland. But there's a host of other NBA shows just in case you have you support another NBA team. So check those out over at audioboom.com. Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company. For a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, you can pick an experienced, licensed therapist you relate to and feel comfortable with. Each and every therapist has at least a master's degree and has completed over 3,000 hours of supervised work. To match with your perfect therapist, go to Talkspace.com forward slash boom. And to show your support for this podcast, use code boom to get $30 off your first month. That's boom. Talkspace.com slash boom. B-O-O-M. So getting back to the play call. Yes, I agree 100% with those folks that are going to talk about the play. You're absolutely right. If the play calling was good, a lot of these issues would be mitigated. Because that's exactly what happened to the Falcons last year. And that's why I say 2016 is kind of a fluke in this way. Can't stop the run? Oh, no problem. Guess what? The offensive coordinator is going to have us with a three-score lead you know, at halftime or, or heading into the fourth quarter. So at that point in time, the opposing team is going to stop running the football. right? They're going to completely abandon the run. You can think of countless examples that happened last year. Oh, you're having trouble with your offensive line on third downs? You're giving up a bunch of sacks on third down? Oh, that's not a problem. Because your offensive coordinator is either going to draw up a big explosive play that's going to mitigate the sack that you gave up on the next series or the next down, or he's going to draw up so, so many good plays on first and second down that you're not going to be in these third and unmanageable situations. 
oh, did you just blow that three-score lead that you had at halftime going into the, you know, and now it's all of a sudden a one-score game with four minutes to go in the fourth quarter like it was against Carolina? Oh, no problem. The offensive coordinator is going to drop a play where you're going to get a 75-yard touchdown on Julio Jones. It's going to ice the game at that point in time. Huh. You know, but guess what, guys? Kyle Shanahan ain't coming through that door, if I can borrow from the great Rick Pitino, the, the, the honorable Rick Pitino. He's not coming through that door. And I'll be honest with you, I'm, I'm tired at this point to talk about Sark. He's not good. We know that. I don't think he's terrible, but he's not good. But we, we need to be now willing to admit the thing that so many of us, not us, I shouldn't say us, I'm saying y'all, but I'll, I'll, I'll you know, to be less egotistical, I'll lump myself into the group. So many things of us that we were unwilling to admit this offseason. That the only reason we made it to the Super Bowl was because of Kyle Shanahan's play calling. It wasn't the brotherhood. It wasn't Matt Ryan's offseason work. Alex Mack's leadership or the defense coming together or whatever other narratives that people came up with last season to justify the Falcons making it as far as there. It was Kyle Shanahan. Now that doesn't mean that you got you, you got to stop blaming him for losing the Super Bowl. If that's what you if that's how you feel, that's your prerogative, right? To me, it's the same, like it's the old saying: you live by the sword, you die by the sword. The thing that got us to the Super Bowl, you can certainly make the case. I wouldn't I wouldn't refute you on this. That that cost us the game. That aggressive play calling style that got us to be the third best offense of all time cost us the game. You know that was 2016 in a nutshell. So, my question for this coaching staff, Sark included, is can they circle the wagons and win some games over these next games, starting next week in a, in a winnable road game against the Jets? Will it stop the bleeding? Because, again, I think this team looks a lot like its 2015 counterpoint. They, have, they had issues with play calling then. They got issues with play calling now. Probably bigger issues. Um, but I don't think the quarterback is playing great football, just like it was then. But even when you get good play calling, you got too many breakdowns. You're, you're, you're missing, your quarterback's missing throws, your offensive line's giving up sacks and giving up pressures, not getting uh, opening up lanes, you're dropping passes, you're missing field goals. You know, and, and the situation is now that the Falcons have to realize, and us, we as fans and the team has to realize, Kyle Shannon ain't going to bail them out of those situations like he did often last year. Now let's, let's switch gears to the defense. Defense is, is, is kind of soft. <laughs> um, they got off to a good start against the Patriots. I thought they did. But I think they, they, they also, like, you know, was a commonplace in 2015 with the turnovers. Um, they they seem to shoot themselves into – they seem to shoot themselves in the foot. You know, Claiborne had that penalty that wiped out the, the Alfred interception. And I'm sure there were probably people upset with that call, but – Pretty easy, you know, flag for me. As far as I'm concerned, like you, you can't do that. Like you, you can't make like even if it's a borderline call, you can't have a borderline call in that situation, man. He threw the football, and you're gonna hit him high. You know, after he gets rid of the football, like you can't do that. You can't do it, man. So it wipes out an Alfred interception. I don't think Alfred played particularly well after that point in the game. Pass rush was good early, then faded. They can't stop the run. I loved it that you know it looked like Deion Jones was attacking downhill, and I was like, "Oh man, 
It's a brand new Deion Jones. He must have listened to last week's podcast. He must have heard me ranting about him, and he's playing better football. He's being aggressive. He's he's playing downhill. But, of course, by the games in, that, that all faded. You know, Patriot, Patriots were running out the clock at the end. Falcons knew that they were running the football to run out the clock. They still couldn't stop the run. They were giving up seven yards a pop, it seemed like. And I'm watching Deion Jones get blocked 15 yards down the field, you know, as Deion Lewis is, is running for an eight-yard gain or whatever to pretty much ice away the game. Like, okay, and the old Deion Jones is back. And good, look, I, I, I know. Deion Jones is not the only issue on the defense. I just outlined some. And I know it sounds like I'm piling on Deion Jones. This is, this is, this is my issue. I get it. I understand it. <laughs> this, is, this is my cross to bear, if you can even say that term. Um, but, like, you know, last year I was like, you know, I think he should be moved to weak side linebacker. He's not a middle linebacker. But I was willing to give it another year, at least another year, to see how, what strides he was going to make as a Mike, as a, as a downhill run defender, um, before, you know, sort of pushing for that. And, and now I'm just like, I've seen enough. I've seen enough. Now, maybe he turns it around. I have no idea. But, like, right now, I, I've seen, what, tw- 22 games or 20-ish games of Deion Jones not being that guy? I, I You know, he, he still had, certainly has a significant role on this team. Don't get me wrong. He's still one of the better defenders on this team. But, <sighs> man, I, I, I don't – I am not a fan of these linebackers. Um, you know, I, I, I feel like at this point – in order to make these guys effective run defenders, they're, they're good in coverage. They're good when you have a 30-point lead, you know, when you have a three-score lead in the second half when they can just play in coverage. But against the run, nah, man. Nah. You know, it, to me, it's it's one of them things where it's like, unless you got Fletcher Cox and Dominic and Sue playing in front of these guys, you know, as good as Jared and, and Poe are, they are not good enough to mask the fact that our linebackers are trash against the run. 162 yards they gave up. 92 in the first half. They are 29th in DBOA against the run heading into Sunday. I can guarantee you that ranking did not improve off of this performance. You know, I don't know how you can be a good... Like, I, look, I know it's a passing league, but you just can't let teams run the football against you. Okay? Um, you know, again, I don't want to make it sound like the defense was terrible. I don't think they were terrible. And I know our fan base only likes to focus on one thing, and that's going to be the play calling, and that's going to be sark, sark, sark all the time. And so I know people, there's going to be some people that are upset about me criticizing the defense this much, but I, I, I say that stuff because I want to, I want to make it clear to you guys that this is not a good team. This isn't a play calling. We just fix the play calling, all our problems go away. And I didn't. When people were mad at me last year, when it seemed like I was nitpicking and being overly negative, this is what I'm talking about in that Rams game. When the Rams were down 31 to nothing or whatever it was, and they realized, oh, Jerry Goff stinks, and the only way we can move the football and sustain any offense so we can not make this blowout be any worse is to run the football to Ty Gurley every snap, and the Falcons couldn't stop that. This is what I'm talking about, guys. Like It wasn't just me being negative because I'm an unhappy person. It's me criticizing a thing that is real, but you're just overlooking it because the team is up 31 points. And the team is winning games, and you're like, oh, this is not a problem. Right? So, again, it's, it's, not, a, it's not just a Sark problem. It's now becoming a Dan Quinn problem. Look, and I know, Dan Quinn's the great 
balded, goateed white knight that has come to save this franchise in the eyes of many fans. And I, I you know, I don't want to make this into a, a, a anti Dan Quinn rant, but you know, at this point, if this continues the rest of the season, you know what the narrative is going to be about Dan Quinn, or one of the narratives is going to be. It's going to be outside of last season, that block of games, last season when, again, unequivocally at this point in time, Kyle Shanahan was the hero of the team and his great play calling. This has been a middling team in the Dan Quinn era. And this great defensive development and this coaching genius that's bringing all this talent and knows how to develop it, I'm not seeing the results on the field. Maybe they're too young. Maybe they're still a year away. But are they going to still be a year away next year when they're still the 14th or 18th, or or whatever best defense in the league, 22nd best defense in the league. All this defense is coming. We we spent every game, every single week last season, every single week. This is not an exaggeration. This is why it pissed me off so much. Every single week starting in that Carolina game in week four last year, every single week the narrative, let's talk about the defense coming together. Let's talk about, hey, Aaron, do you think the defense is coming together this week? And like we're watching this offense be amazing, guys. And all you want to do is talk about the 24th best defense in the league coming together. Right? And now we've been proved to whatever we are. But they ain't come together yet. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for the results. I'm waiting for the results. That's all I'm asking for. You know? And we got we could be in a situation similar to 2015 where the Falcons lose seven out of eight games after a good start. You know, you just look at their next six games, and I know that's technically nine if you count the three losses. But, um, you know, they at the Jets, at the Panthers, home for Dallas, at Seattle, Tampa Bay, and Minnesota both at home. Now, I just listed a bunch of teams. None of those teams are, are, are juggernauts, right? A couple of them might make the playoffs, but they're n- none of those teams are juggernauts. All those teams are beatable. Those are all winnable games, and we'll find out what this team is made of. But, you know, there's one scenario where over the next six games, the Falcons go 5-1 and one or something like that. Hell, even maybe 6-0 and oh, if they get it all figured out. Right now, I'd be highly skeptical of that. But, you know, it's, it's possible. 5-0. and oh, They get their act together and they go 5-1. and 5-1. and one. There's also a scenario where they go 1-5. Any path in between. So, again, I, I, I want to say I don't think this is just a Sark issue, you know. Quarterbacks missing throws, can't run the ball consistently. Offensive line breaks down, you know, second and 10, Wes Schweitzer gives up a sack or, or whatever it is. Wide receivers dropping passes or not creating separation. Your, your, your money kicker is missing kicks. Your pass rush isn't doing anything on third downs. You can't stop the run. Your penalties wipe out any turnovers you get. So, again, if you want to blame Sark for 70% of the team's problems, by all means, that's, that's your prerogative. I don't probably you be my guest on that. But don't forget the other 30% either. Now, I want to preface this next thing. I'm almost done with my rant. We're almost we're getting towards the end. I want to preface this next thing because I, I am not suggesting that anybody gets fired when I'm being critical of these people. I'm not one of those people. All right? I'm willing to see how this season plays out. I want to see this team sort of respond to this adversity. I want to see if the brotherhood winds up turning this thing around. But, you know, we, we, we talk about Sark. Who was the guy that hired him? At some point, you got to ask that question. Um, you know, football's a game about rising above adversity. You know, in its basic form, every snap, there's a 300-pound human being 
that can run 16 miles per hour through a brick wall is trying to murder you on every single step. You got to rise above that adversity. Right? And the question is, can the Falcons rise above this? Can they rise up as it were? Can the brotherhood in brotherhood rise up? And so that's going to be the story of the season, right? It's not going to be the revenge tour as, as many of, of, of people wanted it to be. It's going to be, can this team overcome this adversity that has now hit it? This isn't going to be a, a season where they just coast. They ride on the coattails of, of Kyle Shanahan's magic play calling all the way to the Super Bowl. Right? You know, they lost the Super Bowl in the most adverse situation possible. So now they've got to rise above it. And whether they get back to the Super Bowl, you know, that's now, that's no longer a conversation, right? Right? Now we just got to worry about making the playoffs. How we got to worry about getting to 500, above 500, you know? You know, but, you know, you, you go, you have the adversity one Sunday night game, not that long ago, a month ago, hey, this team looked like they hadn't skipped a beat from 2016. Oh, they're back on track. They're, they're firing on all cylinders. And then, you know, they do a 180 degree turn a month later on the next Sunday night game. They got three more primetime games coming up, guys. Fortunately, right now, it doesn't seem like any of them would be Sunday night unless they flex them. But, you know, two Monday nights and a Thursday night. So we're, we're going to find out what this team is made of under the bright lights, you know, and whether they, they take some Advil or Aleve or Tylenol or whatever your, your preferred, um, you know, Midol or whatever for your, your Super Bowl hangover. Um, you know, and, and, and uh, the one difference about 2015 and this season right now is unlike 2015, we ain't going to be able to blame lack of talent as the reason why this team struggled. Right. As much as I want to blame it on Roddy White and him losing it, as I did two years ago, and as much as I want to blame it on Mohamed Sanu, you know, I'm, I'm <laughs> the part of me that is a troll <laughs> is happy that we could put that. Oh, the Falcons often struggle because they miss Mohamed Sanu narrative to bed. Um, you know, <laughs> again, I'm not I'm not actively rooting against the Falcons offense or or Mohamed Sanu, but it's just like you know. That was sort of a silly narrative in my eyes, but uh, I'm glad I'm not going to have to hear that again. That one come up. Um, so that's it, guys. That's that's all I want to say. Um, we'll, we will talk more about Sark tomorrow, I'm sure, and we will talk more about the play calling in depth on the All-22 review. I'm sure many of you will have many questions that we will answer on that. Um, but again, I, I, I don't want to make this all about, let's just talk about Sark and the play calling and let's put all of our blame on the, on the play calling. The Falcons have a lot of issues. I'm, I'm sure the play calling will be the brunt of what we talk about, but the Falcons have a lot of issues that they need to fix. And, and again, they ain't going to get no magic play calling from Sark or Shanahan that's going to save the season. Maybe they turn it around. Maybe they do. Maybe they go eight and two over the next 10 games. Maybe they go two and eight. I have no idea. That two and eight possibility seemed crazy. If I had told you that, oh, the Falcons go five eleven this year, that seemed crazy to you uh, <laughs> seven weeks ago, didn't it? Two months ago, that would have been crazy. Don't seem so crazy right now, does it? So we'll, we'll see what this team can figure out. We'll see what happens. That's it, guys. You know what to do. Uh, if you have questions, if you have comments if you hate this episode you love this episode by all means let me know twitter is a great place of doing it falc fans is my twitter handle 
If it's podcast related, if it's a question that's podcast related that you want to be hearing me answer on this podcast, just indicate it in the tweet. If it is a question directed that you want to hear answered on this podcast or a comment about the podcast, you know, the easiest way I know how when you tweet me at me, you'll just send it to Lockdown Falcons. That's the show's Twitter handle. If you don't like the character limits, if you have a lot to say, like my good friend Riley Street does every single week on this show, you can send them on Facebook. Lockdown Falcons is a Facebook page. Or email. Lockdownfalcons at mail.com is the email address. Audioboom.com, falcfans.com is also where you can find us. Leave a comment at either one of those sites. That's what the show is posted daily. So that's it, guys. As, as usual, the Pro Football Focus giveaway, as I said at the top, for some reason, if you skip the first three minutes of this episode, you might have not heard that part, but uh, congratulations, you made it to the end. So I, I, you know, I hope this rant, this rapid reaction, you know, I hope it, you guys enjoy it. It's gonna be, it's gonna be interesting. See what this team is made of. That's it, guys. Hopefully, this Falcon team rises up. Hopefully, the Brotherhood rises up. So stay locked on. I know I will. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.